0: Good morning. There are three core things that I'd like to consider in this passage. Um, one of them from that translation that I'd just like to briefly address is the translation of grain as corn. Um, that's an interesting decision given corn is American-based and wasn't actually in the rest of the world until about the 1500s. So we are talking about grain more like wheat. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what translation that one was or who made those decisions, but... There is that, so people who are distracted by that, you can stop being distracted, it's been addressed. Um, So there are three core things that I want to consider with this passage. What is the law about the Sabbath? Why is the law about the Sabbath? And once we've considered those two things, how should the law about the Sabbath be applied? The Sabbath is a religiously mandated day of rest in Jewish law. God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. And his followers are also required to follow this pattern of working six days and resting on the seventh. The Sabbath is that seventh day on which they were to do no work. Now, the word translated into English as work is melaka. Um, I will apologize for my pronunciation of Hebrew. I didn't actually check pronunciations. I looked at it and read it, and if I'm wrong, That happens. So (laughs) um, it's not a perfect translation. Melaka actually implies creation and workmanship rather than just labour. This is important in understanding why some things are considered work in relation to labour on the Sabbath, which don't necessarily make a lot of sense as being considered work if you don't understand this concept behind it. Effectively, what constitutes work is something that is externally creative, transferring a thought into a physical state, or which is exercising control or effecting change on a person's environment. For understanding the activities a Jew couldn't undertake on the Sabbath, there were the 39 melakon, or the 39 categories of work, which are prohibited by biblical law, and there were also some activities prohibited by rabbinic law, These are general categories and understanding, you know, how to interpret them requires understanding the concepts behind them. For example, one of the categories is sorting. Um, So it's not permissible on the Sabbath to sort a mix of items in a manner that improved them. Understanding that nuance is important um, in working out how people were applying the law because the example of sorting that was given... ...was say, if you have a mixed bowl of peanuts and raisins... ...and you only want to eat raisins... ...I don't know why you'd want the raisins, but some people do. um, It would be breaking the Sabbath law to pick out the peanuts... ...because that would leave you with the bowl of raisins you want... ...which is a purified product with increased value in the circumstances. You're not allowed to refine a product. However, if you are to just pick out the raisins and eat them, that's okay... ...because the remaining bowl of peanuts is not a purified or improved product under the circumstances. But if, rather than just eating the raisins, you put them in a different bowl to eat them later... ...you're back to breaking laws because you've created a refined product. So you've sorted them to improve their value. Now, I'm not going to go into all 39 categories... ...because that would take a long time and not going to achieve very much for us. But I will go through a few that are relevant here... Reaping, Severing a plant from its source of growth, such as picking something, was forbidden. Gathering organic material from its original place, such as if they collected a handful of seed heads or put a few in a bag or if you were to pick some fruit, was forbidden. However, if they were in a house and knocked over a bowl of fruit, picking that up and putting it back is okay because you're not moving it from its original place nor are you increasing its value and making it more useful extraction for removing the good inner part from an unwanted outside like a husk was forbidden. So by picking and eating grain the disciples were breaking a few Sabbath laws. Jesus responds to the Pharisees raising this issue by raising a few examples of other more notable ex- few other more notable examples of religious law breaking. When David on the run from Saul, went to the temple and requested bread to feed himself and those with him, and ate the bread of the presence, which it was only lawful for the priests to eat. David, the shepherd who later became a king, who Israel was very keen on. David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man who broke several laws which carried a death penalty. And he mentioned the priests who work in the temple every Sabbath. Later in the synagogue, the Pharisees try to trap him by asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus responds. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, now I don't know about you, but sheep are pretty heavy, so I'm pretty sure lifting one out of something definitely constitutes work by any method of deciding that you want of how much more value is a man than a sheep, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Why does Jesus respond like this? Now, I think it was to remind the Pharisees that they knew perfectly well that there were exemptions to the Sabbath laws, and indeed to many laws. David and his people on the run from Saul were at risk from starvation. A sheep that has fallen into a pit and is trapped is at risk of dehydration and predation, in addition to being distressed due to being trapped. In both cases, it would be cruel to allow ongoing suffering when there is a means to resolve the issue immediately. The priests are allowed to work on the Sabbath because they are doing what God has called them to do, not something intended for their own benefit. Their master is not the law, their master is God. The Pharisees knew quite well that there were exemptions to the law, especially regarding providing essential care for the sick or injured. The presence of these exemptions brings us to the next question. Why is the law about the Sabbath? To understand why there are exemptions and how to deal with them, we have to understand why the law about the Sabbath exists, what is its purpose? What is its aim? Where does it fit in the overall scheme of things? From my point of view there are two very important roles that the Sabbath plays. The first is to be a dedicated reminder that God the Creator is in control and we are not. A specified day where people don't do anything that alters their environment is a strong reminder that they are not in complete control and can't do everything by their own strength. And people like taking control, so that regular reminder is useful. The second is in preventing exploitation. A nationwide mandatory day of rest every week means that every person in Israel had at least one day of rest every week. While the Sabbath only directly applied to Jews, it indirectly applied to anyone else in the country as it was not lawful for a Jew to ask a Gentile to do something for them on the Sabbath either. In the parallel passage, Mark 2.27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What I take from this is that the law is made to benefit people, not to burden people. Later on, in Matthew 22, we will hear Jesus' response to being asked which commandment was the greatest, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. The way I see it, every other law in the Old Testament leads back to these two. Everything is either about expressing dedication to God or about creating a healthy society. And often both. Many of the purity laws, you know, about foods that are considered clean or unclean, or how to prepare them, relate to things that we would now know as being important for food safety. The unclean foods, like pork and shellfish, are very high-risk foods in a warm climate with no refrigeration. Because everything points back to those two commandments, I infer that the purpose of the law, including the Sabbath laws, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and to love your neighbours as yourself. This gives us the why. The Sabbath is observed to love God above all else by focusing attention and cutting out distractions. The Sabbath is observed to love neighbours by ensuring they are all given time to rest and reflect on God. Now that we have that why, the known exemptions make sense. If the purpose of the law is to love God and to love your neighbour, it makes sense that if someone is sick or injured, you would ignore rules in favour of getting appropriate treatment. For someone who is actively observing Jewish law, there is actually a ranking to work out how serious a situation is as to what laws you would break um, to deal with it. So something that's life-threatening. Every law is out, pretty much. There is an overarching principle in Jewish law that almost any law can be broken if needed to save a life, because the preservation of life is fundamentally more important than strict observance of the law. This is so strong that in what remains one of the most influential codes of Jewish law, the Shulchan Aruch written by Joseph Caro in about the 1500s and intended to be a reference for those who didn't have the capacity to study the law in more depth at the time, it is phrased along the lines of, it is a religious precept to desecrate the Sabbath for any person afflicted with an illness that may prove dangerous. He who is zealous is praiseworthy, while he who asks questions sheds blood." Breaking the Sabbath law to help someone is not just permissible, but it is a requirement. So what does this mean for the disciples picking grain to eat, or Jesus healing a man's hand? We are not led to believe that the disciples were actually starving at the time, and a disabled hand is not immediately life-threatening, nor was it a recent injury requiring urgent treatment to prevent long-term damage. So they didn't technically require for, qualify for those exemptions. And they weren't performing priestly functions, so they didn't qualify for exemptions there either. For me, this becomes a question of focus. The purpose of the Sabbath laws was not to follow the Sabbath laws perfectly. It was to be focused on God. The disciples, eating the immediately available food to sate their hunger while they were walking with Jesus to a synagogue had the right focus. They weren't collecting grain to eat later, they were snacking while they walked, which may have prevented hunger being a distraction while they were at the synagogue worshipping. While it did break the letter of the law, I don't think it was breaking the spirit of the law. But the Pharisees raising this issue were not focused on God in that moment. They were focused on following the letter of the law and they allowed that to become a distraction. So while they weren't breaking the law, they also weren't getting the spirit of it either. When Jesus healed the man's hand, that would be considered work as it exercised dominion over his environment and created a tangible change. From everything considered here, it broke the law. But it did not break the spirit of the law because it put focus on God and demonstrated love for people the law was supposed to be a means to an end, not an end in itself. Focusing too closely on following the letter of the law can lead to missing the point of the law. There is a classic Australian film called The Castle. It's about the Kerrigan family, who are a very working-class family who live out near the airport. One day, someone comes around doing property valuations, which surprises people, but they figure they might as well find out the current value of their homes even though no one has any intention of moving or going anywhere. This is followed by a letter about compulsory acquisition in order to extend the runway with a stated price for the property that would barely allow them to buy a unit somewhere. They go to their local lawyer, Dennis, to get him involved and he quite rightly states that this is well outside his level of expertise but they insist it has to be him. They have faith in him. So Dennis does find relevant cases which set precedents about compulsory acquisition and refers back to the constitution. But when he's asked how these specific things apply in this specific case, his answer is that like it's, it's the vibe. This is not the right phrase to be using in a court of law. It is however the right thing to be considering when trying to work out how to apply laws even if it's not phrased well whether that's religious law or government law. There are underlying principles in every, any system which inform how laws should be applied and how they were intended to be used. Those underlying principles are the vibe of the thing. Before Jesus healed a man, his response to the question about healing on the Sabbath, that response is to point out that any of them would rescue a stuck sheep and consider that to be reasonable. And people have more intrinsic value than livestock. Therefore, the logical conclusion is that it must be lawful to do good and help people on the Sabbath. It's the vibe of the thing. Love God, love your neighbour, do good. Taking care of other people takes precedence over other rules if you have to make a choice. In the grain field, Jesus says to the Pharisees, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. The law was a method to help people understand and put things into action. It wasn't the end point. This harks back to Micah 6 verse 5, that what the Lord requires of us is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That's the vibe of the thing. That's what matters. And that's what people will remember, far more than how well you followed specific laws. A bloke I know of was apparently known for never baling his hay on a Sunday, no matter what the weather forecast was, because it was wrong to work on the Lord's Day. Now this is rather notable in rural areas. Because there are some specific conditions that need to be met when baling and storing hay. And in general, if you're intending on baling and storing hay, the weather forecast is one of the most important things in your planning. And there's a very important reason for this. Now, some people listening might not be old enough to know or not rural enough to know what these reasons are, especially as modern technology has reduced the frequency of these issues. You see, if you bale hay, which is still damp, it decomposes and decomposing matter generates heat. And if you stack hay bales in a shed that are damp, they start decomposing. And in a large stack, that will generate enough heat to create spontaneous combustion. And in that area, every year, ...you'd hear about at least one or two people losing a hay shed to fire. So never baling, a hay, baling hay on a Sunday, regardless of the weather forecast, would get noticed. You know, people knew that law was being, you know, that religious idea was being observed. The thing is, he's remembered by a number of people for some other things he did. Things which harmed people and which there's not a reasonable justification for believing they could cause anything but harm. So while this person may have followed the letter of the law, he missed the vibe of the thing, of which commandments really mattered. At the end of the day, his following the law will mean nothing because the people he hurt are infinitely more important to God than letting the hay sit for another day. The letter of the law doesn't matter if you've completely missed the point of it. So where do we go from here? We've covered that the law of the Sabbath was to do no work on the Sabbath. We've established that the purpose of that law is loving God and loving your neighbour and that there are justifications for breaking more specific laws if needed in order to fulfil the purpose of the law. And Jesus had set the example of not being concerned about people breaking those laws. Speaking in depth about the law is interesting as a Christian with no Jewish heritage who is not bound to Old Testament law. They are not a requirement for me to follow. But they are a very useful guide. You see, I don't want to go around spending all day having to analyse every single action I do every day to work out whether that action is loving God and loving my neighbour. If I have a set of guidelines that have already done the work, that saves me time and energy that I can then focus on doing something better, like actually loving God and loving my neighbour. In a world that is all about maximising returns and attempting to turn everything into profit, it is truly important to understand that God intended for us to have a day a week of rest. We actually shouldn't be turning all of our hobbies into side hustles and trying to make every waking second productive. It's simply not healthy. That's not to say that we should be obsessive about what does or doesn't count as work or be ultra-concerned about which day of the week it is or whether we're using the contemporary Australian understanding of what a day is versus the Jewish understanding that it's sundown to sundown. But it means that we should take rest and not feel guilty about it. It means that if we ask to do, someone to do something and they say, no, that's my day off, we should leave it there and not pester them about how it's only one day or it's really only a couple of hours at that. People are intended to rest and it's not your business or my business to decide how little rest someone should be able to do with or when they need to take it. This is my takeaway from this passage. Our business is not to police the way other people are doing things which aren't harming anyone else. Our business is to love God and love our neighbours and to be aware that rest is an essential part of that. For some of us who don't regularly get a day of rest, who are always doing something, that is going to mean that we need to reevaluate our priorities in order to arrange our lives so that we do get regular days of rest and fix our eyes on God rather than on what we're doing.